You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bring it in. It's time for the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard, joined by two of my good friends and fellow NFL draft lovers, Matt Labatu, Danny Hillman, super excited for them to be here. I'm super excited to talk about the NFL Draft. Uh, along with me, it is one of their favorite sporting events of the year as well. We're excited, so we're going to answer some of the questions that were asked on Facebook regarding the NFL Draft. But first and foremost, uh, two guys who are uh, getting featured on the podcast for the first time. So I welcome you, uh, Danny We'll start with you, man. First thing, uh, you know, what what is it for you that just drives that uh, that intense passion for just NFL Draft Day? Yeah, no, absolutely. So first and foremost, being a, a Jaguars fan sure helps because we're a top 10 pick every year. Um, <laughs> it's, it's essentially the Duval Super Bowl. Uh, but aside from that, I just like all the research – and analytics and scouting that goes into trying to get, you know, seven rounds right, essentially. You know, you're trying to go through and find, you know, for GMs, these picks can decide whether or not they get to keep their jobs. Same with the coaches. And as a fan, you get to see, you know, as that pick happens, is it improving your team? Is it someone that, you know, you're excited about? It just brings out the raw emotion. You know, with every pick, you're getting that raw emotion of, I love this pick, I hate this pick, who is this guy? You know, last year, Mike and I joke around about the Daniel Jones pick. I knew it. I knew it was coming. He can't throw the ball. He can't throw the ball. You know, it's just so much hype and buildup. And then when it finally comes, it's this exhale and just a, a great time. And that's why I really just, you know, Mike, I look forward to the draft probably more than the actual season. I mean, yes, I'm a Jags fan. That's why. But it's everything that goes into it, all the mock drafts, all the research. It's, it's just a fun thing. Dude, 100%. Now, uh, interestingly enough, Matt, you're, you're obviously from New Orleans. Uh, you and I have known each other for a long time. And you moved out to Philly. And... Last It was last year that the draft actually was held in Philly since they started moving it around. Um, and you didn't get the opportunity to go, unfortunately, but I know you told me that the city was pretty damn crazy during draft week or draft day. Uh, actually, so small little tidbit about the NFL draft that I'm very, uh, very unhappy I didn't get to attend. So, for uh, my job, got a little invite to go to one of the bars downtown uh, for a Microsoft event. Uh, about an hour goes by from uh, 6 p.m. from when I was supposed to be there. I get a phone call from my brother-in-law. He says, hey, man, are you at this event? No. I, why? I decided not to go. Well, they just called out your name, and uh, you could have won two passes to go on the red carpet and behind the scenes to see the entire draft. <laughs> so, if you ever want a real feel-good story... Go ahead and uh, think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I think I would cry for the next three days. 
I don't think I slept. <laughs> Dude, that's wild. So, um, Dude, but, you know, the three the three of us, you know, you and I, we always talk come draft time. You know, Danny and I um, watched the draft together the last two years, I think. Um, and one of the one of the cool things that uh, I had never seen uh, up until last year was the movie Draft Day. And at the time, we were working out of uh, your house and... 11 o'clock rolls around and you and I are just kind of looking at each other because we we had talked about the draft almost the whole time we were there and I was just like yeah I'm gonna just try to get some work done today and then like 11 o'clock rolls around and we're just like yeah so you want to watch draft day um yeah why the fuck not I'm not getting any work done all I'm doing is looking at big boards right now so we end up watching draft day and then of course Hung out there for the rest of the day until it was finally time for the draft itself. Um, but round one comes next Thursday. And as always, you know, being a Saints fan, no matter what, whether they're picking 32, which has only happened once, or, well, twice because they traded as far as I know, twice. Um, but, you know, whether they're in the top 10, whether they're in 10 to 15, whether they're in. 15 to 25, it doesn't matter where they sit in the first round. The NFL draft is always an exciting time. Just as a sports fan, because like Danny said, you get to see these these guys who have been so highly scouted, so highly talked about. They get to go to these, these new teams, these franchises, and whatever happens, happens. They're either going to be great, they're going to bust, there's always the speculation, and then there's always the I told you so part. Um, So it's always funny. Uh, You know, Danny and I have a friend who I always give shit for because he was so damn high on Laquan Treadwell for that year that he was drafted. Now, I doubt most people know who the hell Laquan Treadwell is. So there's always that factor of just busting your friend's balls. Um, And then, you know, two years ago, uh, Danny was at this draft party at at my parents' house. And we had probably 20, 15, 20 people there. And that's when they started doing all the little stupid facts. Like they'd talk about their 40 times, they'd talk about their bench press, and then there would be a fun fact. And that is where Quentin Nelson, as the youngest of 39 cousins, was born. And ever since then, it's just been a punchline. So just everything that goes into the draft, it's just so much fun, so entertaining. And uh, just like you guys, I look forward to it every year. But that being said, obviously, let's start Let's start from ground ground zero here. Joe Burrow, who undoubtedly is going to be the number one overall pick to Cincinnati, to Cincinnati, barring anything crazy. Um, I'll, I'll start with Matt here uh, because unlike uh, myself and Danny, I know you're an LSU fan. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Joe Burrow and kind of his whole story of last season, you know, the 60 touchdowns, the national championship, the unblemished season for LSU and what goes down as arguably – and a pretty damn fine argument at that for the best season in college football, led by Joe Cool, Big Dick Joe, whatever you want to call him, 
He's going to be the number one overall pick. How excited are you to see this guy in the NFL? I don't think the excitement could uh, could be any higher, honestly, uh, besides the fact that he may be going to Cincinnati, which is uh, going to be a hard job for him to overcome as far as kind of uh, dysfunction in the, in the franchise and all the things like that. But I think he's got the moxie. I think he's got the determination. I think he's got all the traits you could possibly want in a quarterback, and I'm so excited to see him in the NFL with NFL-level talent, although I think that roster, as you put it, was loaded with NFL talent, probably one of the top five seasons. If not, maybe you could argue the number one season of all time in college football. But uh, one thing I'm actually excited about is that the Bengals decided to try to hold on to A.J. Green. Really want to see how he throws the ball to A.J. Green. Uh, Going back to the season that he had, just starting off from that Texas game, you know, nervous, got the jitters because it's it's the first game of the season, humongous game, two top ten teams. Uh, You want to just see how your team's going to perform. And then he throws that first touchdown and then another and then another, and it's like, oh, my God, this this guy is just going to keep on rolling. Like, what does this have in store for the rest of the season? And as we all know, puts up historic numbers in that offense. And I'm just – I'm beyond excited to see what he can do in the NFL. I think it's fantastic that he's going to go number one. I don't think it could be a harder working guy to deserve it. Just all around excited, especially being an LSU fan like you put it. Well, dude, it's – for me, not – as someone who's not an LSU fan, it was fun to watch him just because, like you said, that moxie, uh, his he flirts with the line so well between confidence and arrogance. He flirts with it to a T that I don't think I've really ever seen, especially in a quarterback. You know, there's been plenty of guys who it's like, oh, yeah, he's he's pretty arrogant. And Cam Newton's a perfect example. And for the record, I do love Cam Newton. Um but I would put him on well past the line of arrogance. And then you have guys that are just uber confident, you know, guys like Brady, I would say. And then you have Joe Burrow. He runs his mouth. He kind of has this little swagger to him, this little cocky nature, which is cool. One of my favorite things that he said this season, they showed pictures uh, before the national championship, and they showed a picture of him as a kid, and the reporter had asked, would you have told this kid he's a Heisman Trophy winner? And I forgot what it was she asked to follow up, but he just goes, yeah, he looks like a national champion with that just shit-eating grin. Um, And then he goes out there and gets it done. But, you know, when you talk about the NFL talent he's had at LSU, um, you know, um, uh, Jefferson, Chase, those two guys at receiver, fantastic talents you had. uh Hilaire at running back. So there, there's plenty of guys on that roster. And, you know, I just wrote about who gets the positional university title. And ironically enough, LSU took the cake with three different positions on that post. But they, they're an NFL factory. Um, but Joe Burrow going to Cincinnati, yes, it's dysfunctional. But one of the things I am excited about like you said AJ Green is staying there there's plenty of weapons to play with there he's got a solid running back and Joe Mixon they do have some issues in the offensive line um they uh they did lose their best guard this offseason and they're gonna have to address some of those issues in the draft I think but 
As far as weapons go, the out from the outside to the running back position, he's got plenty at his disposal. And he's got a lot of speed out there. And if he wants to really extend the field, extend the plays, do what he did in college, even if they win five games, that offense should be pretty damn exciting with him at uh, under center. So uh, with that being said, Danny, what's what's kind of your take on this situation? I mean, I, I think he... I get the Bengals are the, you know, cliched dumpster fire, but when you actually look at the roster that he's going to be a part of, keep in mind the Bengals are essentially getting two first-round picks this year. Their first-round pick last year, Jonah Williams, missed the entire season with a torn labrum. Um, and he's, a, he's a, by all means, their starting tackle, I would assume right tackle to start. So he's going to have line help right away. You still have Tyler Boyd. I kind of expect John Ross to get – traded on draft night uh but anytime you're looking at receivers being you know green and boyd you're great and then you know you're in good shape and then you also look at the help that you can get a first year quarterback in this year's draft is probably as good as it can get you know you're having some analysts say that as many as 35 uh wide receivers are going in the in the draft this year that's unheard of so I think you can actually help get him some some firepower in the maybe day two, day three picks and address maybe that offensive line that you're talking about. You know, uh, there's plenty of good, you know, starting caliber guards there in rounds two to four. Uh, so I like where he's going. I think the Bengals, the biggest threat here is the Bengals are the Bengals. I hope they don't let any of the outside uh, – hype of trying to trade back and accumulate picks gets in their head. I think Zach Taylor could actually, you know, like you said, maybe win a, you know, five, six games if we actually just go with Chalk, go with, you know, Burrow on this, and then, like I said, surround him because they're not all that far off. They still have plenty of talent it's just they haven't been able to do much with it whether it's your injury lack of coaching all of that so i'm interested to see it i just hope the Bengals don't don't pull a bangle and bungle it <laughs> well said um going to some of the other quarterbacks i'm going to turn to some of the questions we got uh via facebook which ironically enough pretty much all the first round guys got mentioned um but i'll turn to uh our, our boy Ryan, who asked about Tua, um, who has dealt with the ankle injuries, obviously the hip injury. What's he going to look like coming back? And, you know, is he worth taking in the top? I'll start and I'll say yes. I mean, I think Tua is a high character guy. And if you're going to gamble on somebody with the injury history that Tua has, I'd be okay gambling on a high-character guy like that, but ultimately, he's an athlete, and um, the hip's a little concerning just because of throwing mechanics, stuff like that. Uh, we're not talking about an ACL, you know, which we've seen guys come back for many of times in this day and age, whereas, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that was almost a death sentence to an athlete. Uh, that hip is a little concerning, but ultimately, if you need a quarterback... I'd, I'd feel much better taking 
a guy like Tua than maybe some of the other guys in this draft. So I'll, I'll say yes. I mean, if Miami winds up snagging him, which is what I think ultimately happens, yeah, I, I'd be more than okay with it. And the other thing that you have the luxury of, depending on what your situation is, but if he does go to Miami, I, I don't necessarily think you need to start him right away because I think that fan base, that staff, and that front office understand that Brian Flores is doing a great job. He did a fantastic job in year one. I mean, he won way more games than he should have. They went 5-11, and 11, and in all honesty, out of 16 games, he probably should have lost 17 with that roster. So they're in good hands. Um... And again, I think everyone there kind of understands the magnitude of the situation. Even with Brady out the door and the Patriots, the Bills are still good. Um, we'll see what the Jets are with Adam Gase, but you know, don't get too ahead of yourself. And I think Miami understands that. So if he does go there, I think that's the perfect situation. And I'd be more than okay if I'm that GM taken to a, uh, in that top five. And uh, Danny, I guess we'll uh, start with you on this one. Okay, yeah, so, I mean, I think the Dolphins are the logical pick there with Tua. I honestly think that it would be interesting if the Lions can't find a trade partner. I think they're trying to get out of three. Uh, potential Matt Stafford replacement, um, especially if you want to let him heal from that injury. I think Tua's probably, after Burrow, the, the closest thing to a sure thing there is in the draft, which is hypocrisy as it comes as it rolls off the tongue because the the last left-hander to throw a touchdown in the NFL was actually uh, Kevin Byer, <laughs> you know, for the Titans, the safety. Last quarterback to throw a touchdown left-handed was Kellen Moore back in 2015. So you add the injury history and then you add just the unicorn that is the left-handed quarterback in today's game. It's interesting to see how he'll play out and it just shocks me that that doesn't get spoken about you know it was spoken about a few years back and then now here comes Tua and to me it speaks to his talent like you said he's a high character guy and he just looks that part you know he absolutely looks like a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL um I just it's it's just so odd with the left-handed quarterbacks you know being a thing of the past and now you have someone coming in with the injury history and like you said Mike it's the hip so there's so many question marks as much as he looks like a sure thing the hip is a question mark the injury history is a question mark uh being left-handed as funny as it sounds is a question mark and then also the Dolphins themselves, let's assume that, you know, if you went chalk here, the Dolphins are the pick. The Dolphins are a question mark. I don't know about you guys. I love what the Dolphins did in the offseason. And they still have two serviceable quarterbacks on their roster if if you want to look at Fitzpatrick and, and Rosen. Um, I think Rosen, again, that's a, a candidate to get moved on draft night again, <laughs> you know. Um, but that's, that's kind of my thoughts on Tua is just – I think he looks the part. I like him way better than Herbert. He, Herbert just reminds me of, speaking of draft day, Mike, if you've ever seen the movie Draft Day, Herbert reminds me of Bo Callahan. <laughs> he looks the part. He looks the part. He, by all purposes, he should be 
the number one pick last year. If he came out last year, they were talking about him going num- number one overall. And he went back and he fell. So I like Tua. I think he not he's the best quarterback in this draft, not named Joe Burrow. And I'll leave it at that. Matt, where you stand with it? So if we're talking about a pure football standpoint, no injuries, I think bar none, he is right up there with Joe Burrow. Maybe you could put him above Joe Burrow. Uh, I wouldn't personally, but I think he's right up there. But the injuries have to worry you a little bit. Wrist injuries, ankle injuries, uh, the hip injury, they kind of just pile up on you. And a little about the injuries, the tightrope uh, tight procedures he's had on his ankles, it's still a relatively new surgery. I think it's only been around maybe 10 years or so, so there's not a lot of evidence to show how long this is going to hold up. How long is it going to hold up? Is he going to have anything down the road that's going to have him have another surgery to get anything cleaned up? And the hip injury... They, uh, they compared the hip injury to a car crash type injury. It's not something you're really going to see on the football field. It's a high-impact injury. It's a very odd, very rare. I won't say rare, but it's just not something you're going to see on the football field. Uh, as far as uh, the football player himself, he is so accurate with the ball. can make every single throw you could ask for on the field. Not really a runner, although some people may think he's a runner. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have the feet to be a runner. Not going to escape a lot of the a lot of the players in the NFL just because they're so fast. But uh, he can move around in that pocket a little bit, and that's what concerns you a little bit with the hip as well. Is is his movement going to be the same? Is he going to have that hip fluidity? Is he still going to be able to turn those hips and make all those throws? But uh, if you're talking about talent, I would take him. I know the Lions probably won't take him. But as uh, Danny was saying, it'd be really interesting if they did. I don't think they will just because Matt Patricia has to win this year and has to keep his job. I don't think you can draft to uh, and play him right away this year over Matt Stafford, although I think it'd be perfect to draft him, have him sit for a year. Stafford next year, uh, you can kind of say bye to him. You won't have to pay him all that money if, uh, if you find a trader. I think just outright release him. But I think he's logically... Unless the Chargers trade up with the uh, with the Lions to go to number three, I think it's probably Miami that lands them. It's a good situation because I really, really believe in Brian Flores and what he's done with that team. It seems like the players love him, rally around him. If you draft a guy, you still have Fitzpatrick and you still have Rosen, and Fitzpatrick already knows he's going to be pretty much just a bridge guy, but he's still going to show, uh, show the ropes to Tua everything he knows. He can go in and play. You can still maybe, with that roster, with the improvements they made, I don't think it's crazy to think they can sort of compete in the AFC East, especially with uh, with losing Tom Brady. So I would I would take him, injury risk and all, just because of that type of talent you just don't see come around the NFL too often. I mean, people are comparing him to the left-handed Drew Brees, and as we all know, Drew Brees is a certified, no-doubt, Hall of Famer. I think if you're a GM, it's just tough to pass on that kind of talent. Yeah, I, I I agree with you in that standpoint. And, you know, that brings us to another question by my buddy Kyle, uh, who asked uh, about Justin Herbert, which Danny had mentioned. But before we start talking about uh, Herbert a little bit here, before I get into his question regarding him, this is an interesting question, and this is something Danny's asked me uh, before, and this is something we've talked about. But 
we're talking about the trading, the potential of the Lions uh, trading out, uh, whatever that may be, whoever's the suitor. You know, with the draft and the way it's set up this year, it's remote. You know, you you don't have the war rooms this year. You don't have all the guys at the draft. You don't have the same feel this year because of what's happening with coronavirus. So it's been altered a little bit. And one of the questions that Danny had asked me uh, a couple of weeks back was how does that impact the the trade aspect and honestly I think it's going to negatively impact it I don't remember the exact total of first round picks last year but I think the magic number that you had said Danny was four do we get you know more or less and I think it's going to be less I I think this year you might see two maybe three trades in the first round I think it's going to be a lot of status quo stay where you are teams not doing too much just because there's so much uncertainty not only with um with the draft itself but with with coronavirus in the season you know as of now things are supposed to be pressing go but uh someone else i know brought up a great point about this and that's i don't know that a team necessarily goes all in to win now if they potentially don't have a season um which I think is unlikely right now, but we just don't know. So I think because of all that uncertainty, I think it's going to be a very, uh, very status quo of I'm here and this is where I'm picking and not a lot of movement this year. Um, Matt, what's, what's your thoughts on that? I, I think I have to agree with you on that just because you won't have all the availability that you usually have. You have all of your assistant coaches, you have, all of your scouting department all in one room and you have all this access to be able to reach out and everybody's pretty much going to be stuck at their home. You're only going to be able to have so much contact. And, and I think you're going to have less trades, especially on the back end of the first round and things like that, where you might have a team try to trade up into the first round. I don't uh, back into it. I don't know if you'll necessarily see those. I think you could still, uh, still see the trades at the top of the draft for the guys that, uh, that are quarterback hungry, I think you'll probably see, I would say, at least two teams trade up in the first round to go and grab a quarterback just because that seems to be the trend of the league now. You want to make sure you get your guy, uh, especially if you think you're anywhere close. But I think this draft is really going to show who the real GMs are, who knows what they're doing, uh, because you. I also think that you're going to have more, uh, more misses, maybe more bust in this draft too. I don't want to say you can't necessarily do the same research because, you know, you've been scouting these uh, these guys for a few years. I think the good GMs kind of know who they want to get and know who's legit. But, yeah, less trades, unfortunately, which kind of deflates the excitement a little bit because I don't think there's anything more exciting during the draft to see that giant trade ticker come across. But I think we'll see less of it. And, Danny, where, where are you at with it? Well... I mean, I'm going to – I'll take the stance of disagreeing. I agree with you guys, but it'd be a pretty boring question if we all agreed, right? So I actually think that there there could be. I do expect it to be less, but I could see as many as like six or seven trades here. Uh, you look at, like we were saying, Detroit, Miami, San Diego, those are all good candidates uh, to trade and be in trade talks for quarterbacks. I see the Giants maybe wanting to move out of four, uh, so I agree with Matt. You know, a lot of that top five, you know, draft pick trade you're seeing. But I also look at teams like, you know, just logical trade partners. You know, me being a Jags fan, 
the Jags train back to 11 with the Jets or 14 with the Bucks. So they can grab either, you know, in the Jets case, a wide receiver, or in the Bucks case, you know, a lineman, say Mecky Becton's there or something like that. Um, I think the Eagles are trying drastically to move up if those if there is a run of wide receivers coming off the board and you know if Justin Jefferson, you know, LSU's own is kind of that last first round pick uh, wide receiver as far as if that's what they have on their value board there, they may even try and move up. I wouldn't be shocked if the Patriots who love to dra- uh, trade you know draft picks, try and move up and grab Jordan Love if he slips a little bit. So there is potential, um, and that's kind of the point I'm bringing up. But the short and sweet, yeah, I, I think it's the same as you guys are. I think uh, the lack of availability it is probably going to hamper what would normally be a trade-filled year. Uh, but it, you know, it could also be the other side of the coin here. Uh, you're, you might have a lot of GMs that don't have the good angel and, and bad angel on their shoulders talking them through it or talking them down. Maybe they do press that giant red button to execute the trade because no one's there to talk them down. I don't know. But again, this is the great thing about the draft. You just don't know. We, we're all guessing, and that's what's so great about it. I agree with you guys, but I can see, like I said, uh, when I look at it, I see six or seven potential trades that you could – justify um, but I'm, I'm with you guys on this one i apologize for danny giving us the most milk hyper answer i've ever heard in my life now, now here's a guy <laughs> going number one out of the whole tart huddle okay guy came out of college doesn't have a lot of hair but <laughs> loves his mother loves his mother will debate until the sun goes down that's what I like about Michael Mozart. The guy will argue with a stop sign. Round one talent. How did that go from Kuiper to Guy Fieri, though? But to Guy Fieri, you sounded a little you sound you sounded a little Guy Fieri-ish at the end of that. I think they're the same person. I've never seen them in the same room at the same time, and that's what I'm going with. <laughs> that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So. Yeah. Um, talking about the trade ups, and uh, you know, we I, I had mentioned Justin Herbert before this, so let's get to this question. So Herbert comes with the stigma that is Oregon quarterbacks; they just don't pan out. Whether it's just unlucky, whatever the case may be, you know, they've had their fair share of first rounders. They've had their fair share of high profile guys, uh, Joey Harrington, Marcus Mariota, uh, Keely Smith, but they just don't work in the NFL for whatever reason. And, you know, I'll take first crack at this one. I think Herbert is another case of that. I just, I don't know if it's the stigma of of him being at, or- at Oregon, but honestly, looking at his size, looking at kind of what he does on the field you know one of the biggest criticisms of him is his ability to not get touch on the ball and part of that I think stems from that size of him just being 6'6 he's huge uh so he had a problem in college with guys at uh on the defensive line and then the at linebacker just batting down balls early on and I think if you do that in the NFL you're going to have significant issues and on top of that 
he's not he's not super athletic in getting away from the pressure. So honestly, I think that I think he has Brock Osweiler written all over him. He's a physical presence, but there's nothing about him that just stands out. You know, if we're talking about trading up, that's just one guy I'm not willing to trade up for. And honestly, outside of Tua and Burrow, which you're not getting Burrow, you know, I just, I'm not trading up for any quarterbacks aside from those two this year. But I, I think, I think Herbert's got uh, Brock Osweiler written all over him. Uh, Danny, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. I mean, he, like I said, he's a guy that last year, if he came out, was going by a lot of analysts ahead of Kyler Murray. And he decided to go back to Oregon, and it's, you know, sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. I would say in this case, it hurt him. Uh, the other knock that I hear on Herbert, and to me it's not a knock because I, you've seen guys win without it. They say that he's not a vocal leader, that he's kind of quiet very like Eli Manning-esque is what you hear the comparison as. I don't really buy into that. I mean, Eli, you know, pretty much had the same face and the same answer to every question his entire career. And last I checked, the guy who, you know, had the uh, Lombardi trophy in his hand. So with Herbert, I'm, I agree with you. I don't know that you're going to trade up for him, but I do think if you're – the Chargers sitting there at six, and you see Tua come off the board, you're probably making that your pick unless you can think, you know, if the Giants pass on Simmons, and maybe you just say, hey, we're going to go with Tyrod, maybe sign a guy like Cam Newton in the offseason and try and win it that way. But if you think that you need to reset a quarterback, you have a fantastic defense. I mean, that defense for the Chargers is solid. Um and they added Chris Harris. I mean, come on. Uh, I just think that that's a logical pick for them. And then, you know, if they don't choose him, I don't, I mean, I, I think he does slide quite a bit. Uh, but I just can't see him getting past the Chargers at six there unless they decide, like I said, to go with Simmons. But I don't know that he's there at that point. Well, to counter that, I I think my biggest thing with the Chargers, yes, they have a defense, but the biggest thing they're lacking, and it's been their Achilles heel for a while, is their offensive line. So uh, I, I think offensive line would probably be the better play because I think next year you could potentially find your guy. And the thing is, there's quarterbacks out there that the Chargers could get right now that could be filler pieces. Um in the meantime, I think, especially a guy like Herbert who does struggle when he's faced with pressure, you would basically set him up to fail if he went in there with the same offensive line that Phillip Rivers was working with last year. So that would be my only big beef with that. Um, but Matt, what's uh, what's your take on all this? I'm kind of in agreement with you guys. Uh, I don't know if Justin Herbert is, is going to be this, this, you know, guy that everyone's touting as, you know, maybe even the number two quarterback in this draft class. I do think he hurt himself last year by coming back because I really think he'd be a New York Giant last year if he comes out of the draft. I think he goes that high. People were that much in love with him. 
uh, going back to kind of what Danny said about not being a vocal leader, I don't know if that necessarily hurts them like some people are bringing up. Uh, just like you said with, with Eli Manning, it's shown that it can be done. You don't necessarily need to be vocal as long as you're, uh, as long as you're there for your team, you're trying hard. They know you're trying every game and you're winning. You know, winning cures all. It's not going to matter if you're not loud in the locker room. But the thing that would, uh, concern me is that I'm not a huge fan of the, the pack. As far as, as defenses and everything goes, uh, I don't know if he's necessarily played against elite-level defenses. Uh, he doesn't seem to have the super athletic ability. He's got enough to escape out of the pocket. I think the there was uh, certainly an anomaly, and was it the Fiesta Bowl with, uh, with three touchdowns? I don't know if you're going to see anything like that in the NFL where he's going to be able to wiggle around and get any sort of touchdown production on the ground. Uh, the most logical spot... It's probably the Chargers, but if I'm the Chargers and I have Tyrod Taylor and, and Easton Stick on the roster, maybe I go ahead and roll the dice and, and like Mike was saying, draft an offensive lineman. I know that they just got uh, just got the offensive lineman from who is it? The uh, the Carolina Panthers. They got Trey Turner, but that's only one piece. You're probably at least another two or three pieces uh, on the offensive line, and people forget that a year ago before this past year, the Chargers won 12 games. That roster is super loaded. I think not having the offensive line uh, just killed that offense because you have basically a statue in Phillip Rivers back there just getting demolished. Offense not necessarily clicking on all the levels. I don't think having Melvin Gordon hurt them too much just because Austin Eckler was, was so dynamic. But I think if he doesn't go there, you could see a slide maybe all the way to the Raiders. I can see the Raiders taking a shot because as much as they say they love Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota, I don't know how much I buy into that. I don't think uh, John Gruden is in love with Derek Carr. I think he thinks he's just another guy. So I think he could uh, he could slide there. Uh, he could see a little bit of a slide if he doesn't get drafted by the Chargers. Maybe New England if they want to try to bounce up and get him. But I don't know if that's necessarily really a Bill Belichick thing to do. Yeah, I uh, and I think if I'm not mistaken, based on what I've read, I think Belichick likes uh, uh, Jared Stidham. I, I'm could be pronouncing that last name wrong, um, but they they drafted him last year, and I, based on what I've read, it seems like they like him to be the starter this year, which you know could bode well for me in my dynasty fantasy league because you know I drafted him, um, but uh, uh, let's. Like, real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt. Last thing I want to say is I had the Chargers. There's eight good offensive tackles in this draft, in my opinion. I had them taking Josh Jones in the second round. Uh, but keep in mind, too, they got Trey Turner. They also got Brian Balaga uh, from Green Bay. So I don't think the line is as far off as maybe we thought last year because you guys brought up a great point, too. Phillip Rivers is very much a statue. Yeah. He's, he's not winning any foot races, guys. So just wanted to throw that in there, too, before you move on. Yeah, I uh <laughs> Philip Rivers is your typical dad out there playing on Sundays and it's great. Um I mean, he's got kids to feed. He's got to keep playing, right? But um no, let's let's get generic with this one. Um you know, I wrote a column about who is the number 1 prospect on most of the big boards here, and that is Chase Young uh, from Ohio State. 
And Matt, I believe you agreed with me. Danny, I know you're super high on him, but uh, I, I'm, I think the number one prospect this draft is far and away Isaiah Simmons. Um, I, I like what he could do. I like that you can mix him around, sort of make him that kind of chess piece, if you will by putting him at linebacker, putting him possibly standing up, rushing off the edge. You can put him at safety. Um, He can play in the box. He can play back. Super athletic, can do all of these things. And he was such a great piece for Clemson and their defense. And whatever NFL team decides to grab him, I think they're getting a bona fide stud uh, with him. So... I'm curious to see where he goes, but I bring that up because I wrote this I wrote this column, which I know both you read, uh, about Chase Young because I said back in December, I didn't think Chase Young was all he's cracked up to be. And I started watching some of his highlights, and one of the things I discovered was literally every pressure came from the outside and it wasn't just that it was pressure coming from the outside his interior lines pretty damn good they were able to push that pocket back which essentially is going to play right into his arms now he's an athletic freak he's he had an unbelievable career at ohio state but once you get to that next level uh, one of the things I compared it to in this column was I think it's a lot like baseball uh, as a pitcher. You're going to need, you know, three, four dominant pitches if you want to sustain in, as as a pitcher in Major League Baseball. I think it's the same with a guy like Chase Young. He's going to need to develop some sort of inside move to be able to throw those offensive tackles um, off base because if all he's doing is bull rushing to the outside, they're just going to send him to the team bus every single play and get him out of there as much as humanly possible, and it's just going to eliminate him from the equation entirely. So uh, I one of the bold claims I made was I think he ends up being a bust. And by bust, I don't mean Vernon Galston level of bust. I set the bar anywhere from Kiki Mingo to Vic Beasley. Kiki obviously didn't pan out. He has 10 career sacks. Beasley, on the other hand, sitting at about, I think it was 37 and a half sacks over five years. And one of those years, he had basically a third of them, and that was in the Falcons Super Bowl run. So I don't think... um, Chase Young is really going to be that stud that everyone thinks. And if I were setting my big board, I'd have a Isaiah Simmons uh, number one on that bar none. Uh, Matt, I'll uh, go ahead and get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I, as you said earlier, I tend to agree with you on Chase Young. It's just a guy that relies on predominantly only one move which is basically speed to the outside using his athleticism to beat that tackle off the edge. That concerns me. I like to have my guys at least be able to go back to the inside to kind of keep that tackle on his, on his uh, feet. Because like you said, if you really only have one move, these guys are going to know how to beat you in the NFL. These guys are smart. They're intelligent. They're athletic. You know, I don't know if he's necessarily used to pro left tackles being the ones to go against them. And if you want to say, uh, pro-level offensive line play. You can just look at the Clemson game this year in the 2019 playoff. I believe he didn't have – he had one QB hurry and only two total tackles in the entire game. They basically negated him from the whole game. 
are you telling me that if you're going to go into the NFL, they're going to game plan around you and be able to do the same thing? Now, I do think, and I will go and say this, that he's probably the best athlete in this draft. The guy is a physical freak. He's got the perfect build for a 4-3 defensive end. He's probably built sort of in the Javon curse mold me and Michael were talking about the other day. But I'm just kind of fearful that he's only got that one punch and he doesn't have that second or third punch. Not necessarily has to be even good as, uh, as good as his first one, but just something else to fall back on. But uh, if, you're, if you're asking me who's another uh, great player in this draft, because you said Isaiah Simmons, I'll go ahead and say Derek Brown, the defensive tackle from Auburn, just to kind of go something different from you. Uh, to term him, he's sort of a dancing bear. <laughs> and what that means is he's just he's this giant. When you can imagine a bear kind of being a ballerina and tiptoeing, and he can do that in space. He's explosive off the line. He's got this these massive arms that he used to just do these uh, these club moves and rips, and he can push the pile back. He's everything you want in the defensive lineman. I think you could probably plug him in at the, the four three interior, or you can plug him in maybe on the uh, the edge in a three four. He might even be able to play the nose in the three four. Uh, who knows? Because he's just such a stud athlete. He's had elite level production in the SEC for three years, and I know I'm kind of biased because I'm an LSU fan, but I don't know if you get better line play defensive and offensive than you get in the SEC. So I know he's got the production gone against elite level talent. I think he's ready to step in and contribute immediately. Been seeing a lot of people mocking him to Carolina, which if you're a Saints fan would be scary to have him come into that defense and go up against uh, go up against Drew Brees twice a year. I think he could be a force for you know, 10, 12 years in this league. Danny, what about you, man? What are you seeing? Who's What do you see with Chase Young? And then also, who's your number one guy? So so Chase Young, is he's, he's got those freakish abilities. However, I also think he is benefiting from a great defense, which is definitely a cop-out because it's Ohio State. They always have formidable teams and defenses. But the entire secondary for the Buckeyes has the potential to get drafted. We're talking Okuda, Damon Arnett, um, and the two safeties, their names are leaving me. You have Malik Jefferson possibly going between rounds two and three, their linebacker. And uh, I believe one of their D tackles is projected to go A3. Uh, That's a pretty good supporting cast. Uh, So I think... While I'm not ready to be as bold as I can call uh, Young a bust, because I do think he has his own abilities, I agree with Mike 100%. I think he's a one-trick pony right now, and hopefully he can change that. As far as prospects go, yes, I am on the Isaiah Simmons bandwagon, uh, and I pretty much have been, and Mike, you'll uh, attest to this, pretty much since the national championship game. You know, uh, the guy... I just think the NFL is moving to a Swiss Army knife type of game that we're playing, both on offense and defense. You know, being in New Orleans, Taysom Hill is a great example, but you're also looking at guys like Tony Jefferson and uh, the the safety for the Falcons. I don't know why I can't think of his name right now. Um, but one you're missing that I'll just mention right now is obviously uh, Jamal Adams and Tyron Matthew, both LSU products. Yeah, you know, and, and but even they get looked at as defensive backs first. I say Simmons can probably line up 
at nine of the 11 potential positions <laughs> on a defense, that's, that's stupid. It's ridiculous. I think if you needed him to, he could probably line up and play tight end for you. I mean, I don't know. Um, so I like him. Uh, to speak to Matt, Matt, I'm quietly hoping that Derek Brown gets past Carolina because he would fit perfectly with Jacksonville. Uh, those are my two guys I want at nine. I want one of these home run scenarios like Josh Allen for us last year that involves Simmons falling. And if not, I want Derek Brown. Uh, the other prospect I really like, and uh, I think the Giants may take him at four, is Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle out of Iowa, uh, because he's exactly that. He's an offensive tackle out of Iowa, and he fits that card perfect. He plays mean. He's, you know, he's only 21 years old. You know, so you're going to have him for a while. And he's 6'5", 320. And he does not move like he's 6'5", 320. So he's the other guy I would say if, if we're looking at prospects. You know, not the the guys that are going to get drafted because of their positions like a quarterback. So um, he comes to mind too. But, yeah, it, you'll, you'll see me feeling like I won the Super Bowl if Isaiah Simmons falls to Jacksonville at nine. I don't see him getting out of the top five. Yeah. Um, you know, let's let's talk about some of the some of the undervalued guys. This was a question my buddy Brandon had asked. You know, who's currently the most undervalued guy in this draft? And I'll, I'll start. One of the guys that I like, or I'll actually mention two, one offense, one defense here. Um, and both of them have glaring flaws in their game. Uh, but I like the potential, and one of which is C.J. Henderson, cornerback out of Florida, um, which Danny and I have had many, many conversations about him, but his biggest drawback is he sucks at tackling. He's fucking terrible, Um, but I like his athleticism. He's very physical. Uh, He does a good job, you know, one-on-one, but the biggest thing is, if they catch the ball, is he going to be able to run up and stop them? That's the million-dollar question, I guess. But I, uh, I'm a big fan of him. Um, and then on the offensive side, uh, one of the guys I like again. You know, one of the things I think Danny mentioned earlier was how deep this is at receiver. Uh, one of the guys I like a lot is uh, T. Higgins from Clemson. He's another just big, lengthy body, but his biggest problem is he gets beat up a lot. He's kind of the opposite of CJ, just on the other side of the ball. If those two match up, CJ's probably just pushing him out of bounds. Um, But I I like T. Higgins, but he's going to have to either put on weight or just be more physical uh, because he's a great athlete. He's got good body control, good hands, and one of the things that gets talked about the most about him is catching the ball at the highest points. So he's not afraid to go up and get it, but problem is if he's getting jammed within you know the five-yard mark and he's not getting downfield, then you basically eliminate one part of the offense. So you know, we'll see what he does at the NFL level, but I like both of them. If they can even just correct those two major flaws that each of them have, even a hair, I think that makes all the difference in the world from them being just another guy to being an impactful uh, player on whichever team that they get drafted by. So, um, Danny, let's start with you. 
Yeah, so as far as if I'm just looking for this conversation, I'm just looking round one or round two, right? Um, I really, really like Javon Kinlaw, the D tackle out of South Carolina. If you're not getting Derek Brown and you get him, that's not a bad, uh, you know, second choice there. So if, if I'm going defense, that's where I'm going. I do like Trayvon Diggs out of Alabama, which is like vinegar on my tongue saying. Um, but I, I like him as well. I like Kinlaw just a little bit better. As far as offense goes, if I'm picking an offensive guy, man, I, again, I can't believe it because I'm so anti-Alabama and I don't apologize for that. Uh, I like Henry Ruggs and – I like him because if you actually look at him and Judy together, Judy got the, the notoriety, but Ruggs kind of was that unspoken hero. I like him a lot. Um, I think that Judy's probably the, the better pro, and Ruggs is the better fantasy player coming out. And what I mean by that is I think Ruggs is a guy that's, you know, three catches for 101 in a TD. Uh, so I like him. I like that boomer bust potential. But yeah, Kinlaw's my guy as far as, you know, the, the unsung hero out of that top 10 that can still come in and dominate day one. And Matt, let's take it over to you. All right, so I'll, I'll give you two value picks I think could end up working out really well in the second round. First one, I'll go Grant Delpit, being a little homer with this one, but in most <laughs> mock drafts last year, most mock drafts, you were seeing him top five in some of them, uh, top ten usually in all of them. And here's a guy that's now projected to go in the second round, mostly because he missed a shit ton of tackles this year. I'll be the first one to admit it. Did not tackle very well this year. But if you want to look at tape from the previous year, he is everything you could want in a safety. Plays all over the field, can be a ball hawk, can play up in that box and make tackles, not scared to make tackles. Uh, I think he could be a great value, possible pro bowler if you go ahead and get him in the second round. I still think, despite what people say, still think he may have a chance to make it into the bottom end of the first round. But I'm seeing a lot of mocks that have him moved on to the second. Uh, guy on offense, I'll give you that I kind of fell in love with uh, early in the year after seeing him kind of torch LSU's defense is Devin Duvernay, the wide receiver from Texas. I think this guy could end up being a complete monster in the slot. He's built like a running back. I believe he's 5'10", about 200 pounds. He runs like he's pissed off, runs through tackles, break tackles. Uh, he led the entire league and uh, receptions this year and I think he finished uh, fourth in yardage as well. This guy can go ahead and get the ball, can be a proven guy in the slot, probably steps in and can be your, your leading slot guy from day one in the second round. I know this is a really deep receiver draft and in uh, some other drafts maybe you're looking at him as a round one prospect because of how important that slot position is nowadays in the NFL. But uh, Delpit's and Duvernay are two guys I'll give you in the second round that could prove to be first-round values and possible pro bowlers. I like it. Uh, the only thing I don't like is, you know, when you talk about Delpit, you said here's a guy. So I'm going to mute you for the next at least 10 minutes. I mean, that's a you went, you went full Chris Collinsworth. That's worse than going full Kuiper. <laughs> but something interesting that I'm seeing talking about second round talents, um, just kind of scrolling through mocks as we're talking here and something that I think works and fits. So 
bringing in the uh, good old uh, LSU Tigers is in Kuiper's mock in the second round. He actually has um, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going to the Rams, which obviously losing Gurley, they're going to need um, a, a running back to carry the load for them. I mean, they have uh, Malcolm Brown and uh, Daryl Henderson, but, you know, they kind of need that stud back, and right now the Rams need all the help they could get. I think that could be a really good pick for them. Um, but let's – I'm going to – another question that Brandon had, we'll wrap it up with his questioning here. Uh, but this is a fun one, I think. So what player could you see um, going in the first round or maybe second round that will be the perfect fit to a team – but that could potentially be the missing link to them being almost the stereotypical contender, if you will. Who could go where that instantly takes them from good to great uh, almost overnight, assuming they pan out to what the hype is around them? So, uh, Danny, I'll start with you. Man, honestly, uh, that's that's tough to say right now. Um of course, I will sound like an expert the day after the draft when you see who's on what team. But I think some natural fits. Again, I said it earlier. Uh, Jefferson to, to Philadelphia makes a lot of sense. Um, and then I also think you could be in a position where the rich get richer uh, with the Chiefs picking at 32. There's great running backs in this draft. It's just, you know, that's a value that has dropped in draft days. I could see, like, DeAndre Swift going there at 32. You're pairing him on that offense? Come on. Like, I, And I get they're already contenders. I'm cheating a little bit on this. But I just think that's a very natural fit right there. Um, and then along with that, I do think Akuda to the Lions at three just makes too much sense. You got rid of Slay, and Akuda is the best cornerback in the draft you know it's him then you're looking at cj and, and christian fulton trayvon diggs guys like that uh so those would probably be my my picks right there um and i also think that maybe uh cd lamb to the jets could make a lot of sense but and i know i gave a bunch of answers but bottom line i think akuda swift and jefferson matt what about you Seeing as the 49ers went and jumped back in the first round uh, with another pick, trading with the Colts, I think if they can land one of those uh, wide receivers, either CeeDee Lamb or you get Jerry Judy to fall, that is a really scary offense because you basically take Emmanuel Sanders out, plug one of these guys in, and you have some young buck running around, or Jimmy Garoppolo just giving him another weapon to work with. I think that's a perfect fit. Uh, if you want to go, like Danny said, with Kansas City, if they can add DeAndre Swift, can you imagine him in that offense catching passes from Patrick Mahomes along with all those other weapons? Not really sure how you stop that. And I'll go with uh, with another guy. I, uh, I said guy again. Sorry, Michael. If you go with uh, the Baltimore Ravens and you take one of those linebackers, I think if you can give them a, a Patrick Queen or you can give them a Kenneth Murray, if you give them uh, one of those two people, you can go ahead and have basically an elite-level defense. Although they already have that, you give them another linebacker on that defense, I don't know how you're going to score against them with that secondary. I uh, 
I guess for me, so I'm I'm glad you brought up the Niners because that is actually one team that I was going to bring up. If they can get any of those first four receivers, Judy, Lamb, or Ruggs, or Jefferson, I think that's going to be a huge win for them. Uh, they obviously lost Emmanuel Sanders to the Saints this year, and while the Saints needed a glaring number two, they got it. Well, now the 49ers sort of need that glaring number one. Uh, that's going to be their biggest biggest hole um now of course you have george kittle who makes up for that in a lot of ways but getting someone on the outside who can really draw those double teams get downfield whoever that may be if one of those first four i think is going to be a win for them but realistically where they're sitting they have two first round picks they could easily trade up uh so that's definitely a potential trade up team right there um the second is tampa bay so, Danny mentioned the running backs. Now, they have 14. Uh, they're picking at 14 in the first round. I, depending on what the running back situation is when they pick, maybe they trade back and get some more picks to go along with it. But if they don't, they still should be okay getting one of those top uh, running backs because I, I just don't see too many teams utilizing the firsts on running backs you know a lot of mocks having swift going you know late first potentially to the chiefs all the way at 32 um but if they can get one of those first four uh whether it be deandre swift jk dobbins jonathan taylor or uh hilaire i think that's going to be a huge win for the bucks because honestly that's really the only spot on that team where they are just missing a significant piece they have the receivers they have the line they have the defense now they have their quarterback with Brady so you get a running back in there I think that's a massive massive game changer for them uh, so I would say 49ers if they get one of those top four receivers or bucks if they get one of those top four running backs look the hell out because I think that spells trouble for anyone that gets in their way um, but other than that, uh, you know, before we wrap up here, I thought it, I think it's been a pretty damn good show. What's, um, you know, as far as draft this year, it, it's going to be unique. It's going to be different, uh, because we are stuck in quarantine, basically, Matt, I'm pretty sure, uh, you're, you're still locked down up there in Philly, correct? Yep, only non-essential, uh, I mean, only essential businesses. I'm still stuck in the good old apartment. <laughs> Preaching to the choir right now, but... Uh, lots of, uh, lots of uh, sports, sports talk is on the TV. <laughs> lots of games of horses right now. Um, but, so, you know, this kind of changes the, the dynamic, if you will, because every year, you know, I love doing the draft parties, and one of the things that... Uh, you know, I'm doing with some of the guys in the fantasy league is getting together on Zoom. Uh, probably gonna play a couple of drinking games and watch the draft and talk shit. You know, as each pick gets made, whatever it may be. Uh, anytime someone says something dumb, as that usually tends to happen during the draft. But it's gonna be different this year, especially you know not having the guys there. I'm really curious about the presentation this year. Uh, just because of how much they're going to have to alter it. Uh, but I don't think it lowers the level of excitement at all. And um, Danny, you know, what's where are you at with all of it? I mean, the, the happiest guy in the world is Roger Goodell because this is going to be the first draft in 
recent memory where he's not going to be booed going <laughs> to the podium in his basement. Um, so, you know, it is, it's, it's going to be cool because I think you're going to have to have camera crews in GM's homes, essentially, while this pick's happening, right? Um, it, there, there has to be some way that they're going to do it. And that's a pretty cool thing, all things considered. Uh, it is a bummer because I am very much, I have a draft day ritual, and, and Mike knows that. He talked about a little bit of it earlier, but it is a little bit of a bummer that you can't get together, you know, side by side and say, who's the pick here? <laughs> you suck. You got it wrong. You know, um, as far as the, the presentation goes, I think it's going to be fine because you're not, you never really care about the presentation of the draft anyway. Guys are walking up to a stage with suits that don't make sense and they have a draft day hat that everyone thinks is normally pretty ugly depending on what team it is. Um, so I don't, I don't know that the presentation is going to hurt it. I think the way they win with it is the access. Are you letting people into, you know, Dave Caldwell's basement, you know, as the GM of the Jags? That's that's what I'm looking forward to and, and finding out. I want to see how that plays out. You know, for me, I think one of the ways they could have added the entertainment value to the draft this year is to have gotten Pat McAfee to be the one who narrates the whole thing. Screw all the other analysts. Let Pat McAfee go, at least for the first round, just all him. And you automatically get a win. That draws the viewers because Pat McAfee's a god that has been casted upon this earth. He's a god among men. And uh, if you didn't see him announcing the Colt pick, uh, I believe in the third, maybe the fourth round, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, do yourself a favor and watch it. Uh, it was when they were in Tennessee, and he completely shit on Tennessee, obviously with them being a, a, a big rival of the Colts. So that's where they should have went with this and just gotten Pat McAfee on board. But, you know, we'll still get to see uh, Todd and uh, McShay debate a little. I mean, uh, Todd and Kuyper debate here. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that I think we have to establish before heading into the NFL draft is how many times Mel Kuyper says Todd, screaming it like an incessant, vulgar piece of shit that Mel Kuyper can be. Uh, how many times does he scream Todd in the first round? What is the over-under on that? Like, where do you set that value? And uh, I'm going to ask that question to Matt. Uh, can the value not exist? <laughs> the limit does not exist. Perfect. The limit does not exist, man. I'm I will not, take not sure it. it does. I, I put it over under 600, uh, and that's in the first 10 minutes. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm establishing this now. Uh, Matt, I don't know if you already have plans to get on a draft call, but uh, yeah, we're Zooming, so if you're wanting to join, by all means do. But I think one of the ground rules we should establish since no one's going to have to drive anywhere, I would say every time he says Todd, you drink. And I think we'll know pretty quickly how much this guy says Todd during a draft. I mean, that's dangerous. I don't think we'll make it for Pick 10 is what you would set the bar at? You're giving him way too much credit. I think you might. we all might die at pick 5. We'll have to switch to light beer. <laughs> 
Ah, oh, dude, if Mario's in on it, Danny will understand this reference. We'll have to get him seltzers. But, no, man, other than that, I'm, I'm excited for draft day. Um, closing thoughts, if uh, you guys have any. Danny, the floor is yours. I mean, it's, it's just, it's everything we, we said in the start of it. You know, you're seeing it all. I'm going to have my mock draft already available, you know, right in my lap as it happens. And, you know, within an hour, it's going to be thrown all off due to trades and whatnot. That's that's the greatest part about it. Um, and I'm interested to see who slides this year. Who is the David Gettleman this year? Uh, I think it's probably going to be David Gettleman. But it's just, I, I love the uncertainty of it. I can't wait for it. Um, you know, I have at least six different scenarios where Isaiah Simmons somehow falls to nine at, at the Jags, knowing damn well he won't. But I can tell you every way that it will. I'm just excited for it. You know, and I'll be excited next year and the year after. Because of everything I said, and because I'm a Jags fan, that is our Super Bowl, and that's all I have to say. <laughs> all right, Matt. And then, what about you? Uh, any uh, anything of note for uh, for next Thursday? Well, I will say one thing I'm disappointed uh, about, since it won't necessarily be televised like normal. Is I was really, really interested to see what they were going to do with those freaking boats to carry the players to the yeah. stage every pick. Yeah. I am actually upset about that. Yeah, they're going to have to replan a Vegas trip because that was going to be freaking biblical. Oh, how amazing would that have been? <laughs> but, dude, the big but thing. No, I am, I am so ready for this, uh, for this draft to go ahead and get started to try to get some normalcy in light of everything that's been happening. I think uh, people need sports, uh, even if it's only a draft and not necessarily uh, games getting played or anything like that, but I don't think there's uh, any more exciting days of the year than the draft. I think it's, you know, my Christmas and I'm pretty sure it's you guys' Christmas too. Can't wait to see where these players end up that we've been researching for a year or two and incessantly looking at mock drafts every time that we have an extra 10 minutes on the computer. It's just the culmination of everything and I don't know if there's really a better day on the calendar year and i mean right now like you said in light of everything i think uh this might be the most meaningful draft for people like us who just need sports in our lives but that being said it's been a great episode i appreciate you uh knuckleheads coming on here talking some bullshit uh nfl draft with me and uh for all those listening as always honor the huddle and because this is the draft day special never forget Vontae mac no matter what thank you for tuning in to the hotard huddle podcast Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at hotardhuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.